So yeah. we're gonna talk about myrrh mm. and the sense of smell, and right, that's the old. Uh, that was from, you know, Life of Brian. That was the joke always. And Monty Python's Life of Brian. Yeah, the three wise men, right? The movie opens with the three wise men <laughs> coming to uh, to Yashka's house, but they go to the next door house where there was also a baby <laughs> born accidentally. What are you all doing here? You know, like the whole... Um, and, you know, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Like, what's myrrh anyway? You know, well, it's a bomb. A bomb? What'd you bring a bomb for? You know, uh, no, uh, it's a, a lotion, an anointment. So what... M-Y-R-R-H? It's from a resin? So let's find out exactly what it is. Because you're asking an intelligent question, which is, what is it? Hashem said to Moshe this... I would like you to take Bissamim Rosh, like the chief spice or the head spice, the best spice, something like that, right? Bissamim Rosh, Mar Dror, that's called Mar Dror. So I want you to take 500 shekel weights of it, and then I want cinnamon, so on and so forth. Okay, now then I'm going to read you the Targum. The Targum, Unculus. Unculus writes, Ve'at, sav, lach, and you take for yourself, Busmin, Resha. That's easy. Besamim, Rosh. Busmin, Resha. Meira, Dachia. Meira, Dachia. What boy's name does that sound like? Meira, Dachia. Well, Meira. Right? Meira, Dachia. Right? Together. Mem, the, the the right the highlighted letters are mem resh dalid chaf mordechai mordechai now mar drawer mar drawer means myrrh of of liberty of freedom liberty bell says and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land and to the inhabitants right the liberty bell so that's ukrasim right you should you should announce drawer 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 d r o r right freedom liberty. So mar dror sounds like it, it translates to miradachia, which means pure myrrh. And if somebody were to tell you that has some relationship to Mordechai, right? They might have lost their job. You'd say, ah, oh, you know, Chasidish Torah. It's not that's not meant to be taken seriously. It just was like a cute way to. That's what you might think until you open up the Gemara in Chulin one thirty nine b, which says. I'll just read you a few lines of it because it's fascinating. Moshe min HaTorah Minayin. Where is Moshe hinted to in the Torah before he's born? Bishagam hu basar. The verse says that I'm no longer willing to keep my spirit in man and I'm going to bring a flood because he's just flesh anyway and he will only survive another 120 years. Bishagam is the same gematria as Moshe. It talks about another 120 years. And so Moshe is hinted to in the Torah when it talks about the flood. Wow. Um, and how humanity has really no hope. Yeah? Okay. So we've spoken in the past about the, the parallels between Moshe and Noah <coughs> and all that, so that's very fascinating. This is one of the first <coughs> sources that they bring right away. Moshe was saved from the water. They say it means the waters of the flood and so many other interesting connections. Yeah. Haman minator minayin. Where is Haman hinted to in the Old Testament? Hamin ha'etz. Because it says, did you eat from the tree? Oh. So Hamin and Haman are the very same letters. Very significant. 
Okay. Esther, Minat, these are all, every one of these we could give it, we could give a shir on. I mean, there's unlimited amounts written on each one of these short. Esther, this is the most clear one. Esther, Minat, Torah, Minayin. Where is Esther hinted to in the Torah? When it says, Va'anochi, Hastir, Astir. I will surely hide my face on that day. So the word Astir and Esther are the same letters. And it's obvious. And Esther means mysterious and hidden. And she hid herself. Welcome. And everything about everything about the word Esther and the book of Esther, right, involves hidden and revealed. It's like the perfect that's that's the perfect pasuk that we can all understand. And the last one, Mordechai minat Torah minayin. Where is Mordechai hinted to in the Torah? Dichsiv, because it says Mar Doror. It says freedom mer. Umetargaminon miradachia. And the Targum is Meredachia. It sounds like Mordechai. So Mordechai is hinted to in the Torah by the name of a spice. Why on earth is he hinted to in the name of a spice? Now, just to whet your appetite. Just to whet your appetite. I will share with you. We got a spot right. Seat of honor. Just to whet your appetite, I want to tell you something else. The name Esther, what was her real name? Hadassah. So, so Hadassah is a myrtle. Oh. Right, a tamar is a date palm. Right, Hadassah is a myrtle. There are four, four minim, four types that we gather yeah. together. One of them is called the lulav, and the lulav has taste but no smell because of the tree mm -hmm. it grows from produces fruit, but there's no smell. Mm -hmm. A palm tree, right? You don't walk by a palm tree and smell anything. An esrog has smell and taste. A hadas has smell but no taste, and an arava's got nothing. Okay, now the gemara, the, the medrash goes on to say. Smell represents good deeds. Mm -hmm. Taste represents knowledge, learning. Some people have knowledge but don't have good deeds. They don't have smell. They don't. It doesn't come out, right? Listen to the, what I'm saying. They have knowledge, but you and I would never know that by seeing how they behave. So you see this guy walking down the street. He's a jerk. He's rude to the waiter. Right? He doesn't have good deeds, but he has knowledge. Then you have people that have knowledge that have good that have good deeds, but they don't have knowledge. That's smell. So what was exceptional about Esther was her smell were her actions, right? That was what was exceptional, was her smell. We'll, we'll find out more about this. But the Ein Eliyahu, Rabbi Yashik, says that this is based on that medrash. The Gemara calling, right, explaining that uh, more about Hadassah and her good deeds and her behavior was like a Hadass means that she excelled in good deeds. Yeah. So her name was Hadass, which represents the good smell. So good deeds have to do with smell and Esther's smell. Okay, now another interesting thing. The Mordechai and Esther are opposed by Haman. Gematria of Haman is 95. So that's why I'm saying an interesting thing. In the Ketoros, which had myrrh as one of its important ingredients, it also had something called chelbena. Chelbena in English is galbanum. And boy, does it smell. The Gemara says it represents poshe Yisrael, wicked Jews who stink. They're bad. They're mean. They withhold the get from their, right? They're just bad. They stink. But when you mix them all together, ultimately, right, they have a place still in our community. Um, there is something, there's some tikkun that they need, and hopefully we, we hope that they'll do tshuva and so on and so forth. Okay, so Haman, which is 95, is the same gematria as Chelbena, the smelly stuff, which is also 95. Now that's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Yes, the Chelbena is a crucial part, and it's funny because it, it seems to have no purpose. So what, it, so what it actually does, the chelbana turns everything else to smell sweeter. It's pungent and it's strong. 
So when mixed together with everything else, it actually enhances the katoras. Um, and so that's part of the secret of the chalbana. But may- maybe we'll cover it a little more. Um, it's also Rosh Tevas Chalbana is Rosh Tevas. It says, Kol Echad, every person is Chayav Lomar Bishvili Niver Haolam, right? That every person has to believe the world was created just for them. And that's true even about if Chalbana, even about the wicked guy. Um, the whole world was created just for him, meaning the positive that he can contribute at any moment is so great that the whole world is worth setting up just for him. Chalbana. Okay, so Haman is Gematria Chalbana. What else do I want to share with you about interesting smells? Um, and this is from my notes. We want this out for Yocheved when she was born. He gave this out. Now listen to this one. This is also something really interesting before we go back to the Mordechai part. Um, and that is that the Arizal says that every one of the months of the year is associated with one of the body parts. And the B'nai Sanskar is busy with this. So one month will be the right hand and one the left hand. One will be one, the right eye, one will be the left eye. So what is Adar? Adar is the nose. Adar is the nose. Hmm. Right? Not only that, on Adar, which is interesting, by the way, that, and this is pointed out already by the Bnei Saskar and others, Adar is one month, but it's sometimes two. Hmm. Right? The nose is the one, the one body part that has two nostrils, two Nechirei Ha'av. And scientifically, so it's not really clear why we have two. Meaning... Why not just one big flapping nostril, you know, like one big nose? It's not so clear. You get more surface area by having two, but you get even more by three. Meaning, to hear properly, you really need, right, you really need two ears. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't have proper balance without two ears, and we wouldn't be able, right? In other words, it's not two eyes in terms of depth perception. Like, we can understand why it's necessary, right, from a scientific perspective to have two hands, two Two nostrils is not nearly as clear. There's not like a clear, straightforward theory that everyone accepts why human beings developed two nostrils or even any other animal has that. So that's interesting. But there's two nostrils. Not only that, every one of the 12 tribes corresponds to one of the 12 months. Um, according to the Kedushas Levi and the Sasemis and met many others, there's a whole school of thought that says Adar corresponds to Yosef. Yosef is one tribe that's also two. Ephraim and Menashe. Sometimes there's 12 tribes, sometimes there's 13. Right. Sometimes 12 tribes, sometimes 13. So the month of Adar has to do with smell. And guess what you have to do on Purim? Chayev inish lebisume bepuria. The Gemara says a person has to besume on Purim till he cannot differentiate between Haman and Mordechai. What is besume? says Rashi to get drunk on wine. Mm-hmm. But the word besume, there's no getting out of the fact that it comes from the word smelling sweet, besamin. So Purim, you've got to sweeten yourself up. How do you do that? By drinking wine. Some of that has to do with smell, and smell good, which is interesting, but it means something yummy, something that smells good. Um, and Mordechai and Esther, and everything has to do with smell. Why? It's funny because, like, the, in the Haman is, like, alluded to in Shin, in Gan Eden, but, like, smell is not involved in that. Excellent. Excellent. That's already an interesting thing, right? In other words, we find that other, what she's pointing out is something that the Arizal teaches, and, and it's, it's all over, and that is that um, all the five of the five senses, they were all involved in the sin of Adam Arishan, with the exception of smell. So he saw, and it was discussed, so they heard, he heard his wife talking about it, and he spoke about it, and there was touch, and there was taste, but there was no smell. It doesn't say anywhere that he smelled the tree and was appealing, right? So... That is itself an interesting <coughs> topic that maybe will smell is, is the uh and taste buds in the nose. Sorry? Taste buds are in the nose. Taste buds are in the nose? Yeah, you smell the food, it enhances the taste. Fascinating. 
I don't think if you stick the food in your nose, you get Because I tried that one time and it didn't. <laughs> the, sm the smell could be like you've eaten without even having eaten. So, I mean, it, it's interesting. Right. It, it's interesting, but even in halacha, there's a discussion of how dangerous it is for somebody who smells something and develops a desire for that food to not then taste the food. So there is sort of a pain in smelling something and not getting it. Um, okay, so, but anyway, so we, we may get back to that, to that Arizal a little bit. So let's start with the Mordechai business. So I'm reading to you from a Sefer. We're going to share from a Sefer here that's called Toras Bar Nosh. This is, uh, this is a, new, a, a republished edition, but it was published, it, it's a fellow in, in, in pre-war, you know, he, this was a popular Sefer in Hungary and in other places like this, you know. Um, he was a student of the Chassam Sofer. And his name was Rebkalev Fievel Schlesinger. They called him Fievel. They all called him Fievel. He signed his name Fievel, but his real name was Kalev. Um, Caleb, the name Caleb wasn't as in then as it is now. So he was embarrassed. He went by Fievel. That was a more... Caleb could either be a bit of dog, but also was a faithful guy who went into the land of right. Israel and reported a good Right. Report. He was clearly named after the human. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Kalev and Kalev, right, right. There's certainly a relationship, but they're different, right? <laughs> but I suspect the parents weren't. You know, this it is doesn't have to be a bad thing. Beagle, Beagle Schlesinger. Okay, so, so he wants to know what is the message of Mordechai being like, being like, the Mar drawer. Welcome, Ravi. What does it mean that Mordechai was like the mar drawer, that he was like this spice? So he says the following amazing source. The Rambam wants to know what, what is myrrh? So the Rambam does not say that it's a bomb or an ointment. Exactly. I mean, maybe he does. But listen what he says. He says, in the first chapter of Klei HaMikdash VeHaOvdim, he says, Hamor hu hadam hatsorur bechayat shebehodu. It's from an Indian animal, no. and it's the blood of an Indian animal. Hayadua lakol shemit basmin bobne adam bechomakam. We are not taking retorts yet on the Rambam. So hold it in. <laughs> Sorry. Um, people all over the place, says the Rambam, use this. Uh, if you Google the word musk, musk, oh, okay. it comes from the throat area of a sort of deer slash gazelle like animal um, and and it smells fantastic yes it also the truth is they can also produce musk like things from plants and from other things but the Rambam says it comes from a non-kosher wild animal right Chaya Temea it seems I'm not sure why people assume everybody understands the Rambam meant a non-kosher animal even though he doesn't say that exactly. It's some sort of animal that existed in India. Um, all good spices seems, the Indian Spice Company, right? All good spices were in India, and everyone knew it. Yeah. Um, because cinnamon, hakinamon, is a tree that comes from the islands around India that yeah. smells fantastic, says the Rambam, and he goes on to explain all of them. A lot of them had to do with India. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you can, yeah, you, can, you can check out what musk is. The Rambam understands... And that's the first thing that comes up, you know, like that little thing that tells you on Wikipedia it's going to say, you know, Google search. Right away it tells you that this is something that comes from an animal blood. and It's fascinating. So the Ravid, 
Rabbi Avraham ben David, whose comments on the Rambam are like the primary, um, you would never publish a Rambam without the Rivet ever. You know? So he says, Daiti My mind just can't accept that they would put into such a holy endeavor the blood of any animal in the world, certainly the blood of a non-kosher animal. Can't be. He says, rather, you know what more is? It's myrrh. myrrh. It's from a plant. He quotes a verse in Divshi. He says it's some sort of asev, it's some sort of grass, or from some kind of a tree, and it smells good. So he's admitting he has no idea what it is, but it's either it's some something in the vegetable kingdom. That's the Rivet says. Okay. So it's a disagreement between the Rambam and the Rivet. The Ramban basically defends the Rambam a little bit and says it wouldn't be impure. What? He defends Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he disagrees with the Rivid's questions on, on the Rambam. But he's um, assuming it's not an impure animal. He says it's from a pure He doesn't animal. say that. But the, Ram, the, the, the Ramban explains it wouldn't. He says the question of it coming from an impure animal is irrelevant. In other words, it comes in its lifetime, it, it changes its form, and he points out that it wouldn't render anything else impure. So this is not an intellectual question, it's an emotional question. No, it can't be. Can't be. That's what more is. Wh- whatever. It's kosher. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Right? What's the problem? In other words, once it goes in, it's not going to make anything impure. So the guitarist is fine. So what are you saying? I mean, what are you saying? You're saying that no, it can't be. It comes from that animal. Yes, it could. It does. Right. In other words, there's no there's no question that needs to be answered. That's one of the things the Ramban points out on the rivet. So. So, my friends. Yes, that's what I wonder. That's why I say it's a surprise to me. It's a surprise to me that they assume it's a non-kosher animal when the Ramam doesn't say that. Meaning, I don't know why they know it's a non-kosher animal, but everybody's assuming that. So, I'll take their word for it for this moment, as, as does the Torah's Barnash. But I'm willing to accept that as a, as a question. Um, because I have no idea. So listen to this. So he says, that's what it means. The Gemara says that Mordechai, quotes a Pasuk, Mordechai ben Yair ben Shimi ben Kish. Mordechai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimi. Shimi was bad news. King David's dying breaths were used up telling Shlomo HaMelech to kill Shimi. Shimi cursed King David and was it like he was one, you know, he was an antagonist. Um, to the Davidic monarchy, all the good stuff that we have as Judaism, so Shimi tried to wreck. But his grandson was Mordechai. Right? Mm. Little Mordechai sat on Grandpa Shimi's knee. Right? Mm. He was his grandpa. It was a Benjamite too. That's right. He was Shimi ben Gera ben Hayamini ni Bachurim. Right? He was from Benjamin, just like Mordechai. And Mordechai, therefore, he says, and the Medrash says that sometimes, it quotes a Pasuk in, in Job. Which says, "Me yitain tahor me lo echad." Who can take purity from from impurity? Nobody. So the medrash goes on to say, "Well, Hashem can. Lo echad can't the one and only, right? If for Hashem, Hashem echad, He's one, so He can find good and bad and bad and good. So He takes good from the impure, and that is Mordechai. Mm. Mordechai comes from Shimi, just like says." The Torah's Barnash. Just like, isn't that powerful? Just like Mordechai comes from a grandfather who was wicked. But guess what was inside of it, especially in light of what we spoke about last week? Mordechai was in there. That potential was in there. 
just like Mordechai was inside of Shimi, <coughs> so too we should have no trouble understanding Mordechai being a spice. You know what he was? He comes from an impure animal. Comes from a spice. He's keep, the best comparison to him is an impure animal that when you work on it and you do what <coughs> needs to be done, it becomes part of the holiest endeavor in the world. The Ketores, the anointing oil in the Besamekash. <coughs> no problem. You can include more. I don't understand. It comes from an impure animal. Everything can find its place and can find its tikkun and can find its, its perfection. And so never worry. That is the basic. So he says that would be the simple approach to why Mordechai is compared to this specific uh, spice. Very nice, right? Yes, she wanted to ask something? No. Not so much. His mother was just a Sabitaker. That's right. You're saying maybe it didn't come from Shimi. You see, it can't be, right? In other words, the Medrash is saying, I hear what you're saying, and the Medrash is telling us that he came from Shimi. He was in there. All right? That's what the Medrash is saying. He's saying, Mi yitan So he was in there, and there was potential there, and uh, it didn't get actualized until Mordechai's time, but, but it was there. Huh. Okay. But he admits that this answer is only satisfying according to the Rambam. But according to the Ravid and the Ibn Ezra, and the Radak and so many others. More is mer. If you Google the word M Y R R H, right? So it doesn't say musk. Mm -hmm. It says from the Hebrew more, and the Arabic muda, mm -hmm. and that, right? It is, and it tells you that's the biblical substance. Mm -hmm. It's a resin, right? Yeah. I think in either situation, right? In other words, in either situation, it's some sort of, you know goopy substance but yes the, according to this it would be a resin that comes from like some kind of a some kind of a plant so so what is it exactly what is more so so he says the truth is there's there's two kinds there's two kinds of more so from the science and he has researched because he found that there are two kinds of of general categories that they come in one grows wild one kind of more he says it just overflows from within the tree and seeps out. That's one kind. He says, and that is the finest and purest. He says, there's other kinds that you have to go and drill into the tree and suck it out. And it's a big process. And it's not, it still smells nice. It's still a wonderful thing. But it's not as, as perfect as the other one. So he says, mar drawer, which means freedom myrrh, is the one that grows for free. It overflows. It doesn't require a lot of work to pull it out. Right? It grows freely. It's liber it's, it's, it, it, it has been liberated. It just flows out of the tree. That's the finer one. The coarser more, which is also fantastic, is inside the tree and requires a little bit of drilling to get it out. And even when it comes out, it's not quite the highest level. Then he says the following. So he says, how does that compare to Mordechai? Why is Mordechai the finer more. And then we'll talk all about smell and all that. Mordechai is the finer one because there's a Gemara. The Gemara says, why were the Jewish people in Shushan punished? Why were they punished? What did they do wrong? And all the Jewish people were ultimately wiped out. So it says, here's what happened. In the times of Nebuchadnezzar, the Jewish people bowed down to the idol that he set up. And also, it wasn't right that they ate at the Suda of Achashverosh. So you say, but that would only punish the Jews in Shushan. 
That doesn't really explain for everybody, right? Because nobody else came to the party except the Shushan Jews. So mostly they bowed down to the idol. So Gemara says, but you know when they take a gun and they put it to your head and they say, accept Christianity? You're not supposed to do it. But what happens if you do? Did you accept Christianity? It's nonsense. You weren't supposed to say those words. But even the guy putting the gun to your head knows you don't mean it. Right? It's like, you know, you're driving down the street. And the guy recently, I was driving down the street. Guy cuts me off and says in his car, you know, Jesus is God. So what's he like? Oh, really? Seriously? Oh. Out the window, you know. I was headed. Good thing I saw that the, the Buick. I was headed over to the yeshiva, you know. What does he think is happening? Like, right? So I put a gun to your head, you know. Say this. So you say, bow. So you bow. So you didn't worship idols. The halacha is that if somebody did do that, he doesn't get put to death. You're not supposed to do that. But if if you worship idols, you might get the death penalty. But that's not idol worship because everyone knows that you didn't mean it. So says the Gemara, lo asu They only did it externally. Internally, these were good, fine Jews. So someone put a gun to their head, so they, they didn't live up to it, right? He should have made a bigger kiddush Hashem. They're good Jews. Therefore, Hashem only threatened them externally. He never really planned to kill the Jews. Mm. He made it look like it. Mm. So they did something totally exoteric, you know, external. So Hashem did the same thing. But <laughs> in, internally, so he says, Mordechai is different. Mordechai is the guy who won't bow down. No matter what. It doesn't matter if my life's in stake. It doesn't matter what's going on. What I feel inside comes out. Mm-hmm. That's Mordechai. So Mordechai's standing there, and Haman walks by. He won't bow down. According to some, one of the reasons not to bow to Haman, the Medrash says, is because he, uh, he had an idol around his neck. Right. And that's why Mordechai didn't want to bow. So everyone else is bowing. Why? Because they say, listen, obviously we're not bowing to the idol. It's clear to anyone walking by we're bowing to the guy. And, we don't, and he says, no, like... Internally, you don't believe in that. You can't bow to it. Okay, so the mar drawer is from the inside of the tree and it busts out. It's a tree that the inside cannot contain it and it busts out and it smells delicious. And everybody who walks by that tree knows what's inside of it. But that's not true about the other trees that have it in there but don't expel it. Mordechai's mar drawer. It's freedom because... Okay, so let me tell you what smell is. Scientifically, why does something smell good and some things absolutely stink? Why is it that when you walk by a dead animal in the street, it stinks? If you take a piece of steak out of the fridge and you smell it, it doesn't smell right. What is that? What, why does science work that way? What's happening? So there's bacteria. There's all kinds of things. It's a warning. It's a warning. This is an alarm. This is an alarm. Hashem built into nature an alarm that tells you, don't eat this. Don't eat this. It's bad for you. Feces smells bad. Stay away. It's disease. Stay away. Right? That's what, that's what smell is. Smell is when what's inside the thing is being broadcast out mm-hmm. to either attract mm-hmm. or repel. That's what smell is. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what's incredible about that. Right? Here's what's incredible about that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a medrash. It's really a, it's a brysa. In Avos de Rebbe Nason. This is printed in the back of every Gemara Masechus Avodah Right after it prints Pirkei Avos, it prints Avos, then it prints Avos to Rebbe Nassim. So it says in there that it quotes Rebbe Akiva. And Rebbe Akiva said, a person that's magbiya atzma al divrei Torah, which is, it's maybe a little hard to translate. Um, perhaps the person is uses the Torah to elevate himself. So he uses his position, you know, simply to gain access. You know, the person who's the, 
who's doing conversions or something, and is just really trying to plant candles in the mikvah, right? Like a magbiya atzmal divrei Torah, right? This is a famous news item, you know, Bobby, I'm glad you're here. Magbiya atzmal divrei Torah, a person who elevates himself above and beyond the Torah, so he's using the Torah to his advantage. What is that? It's dome nevela musrachas. He's similar to a stinky nevela. A nevela is a carcass, an animal carcass. He's similar to a nevela. Shekol haover alav, anyone who passes by it, meniach yado al chotamo, places his hand over his nose. Yeah, so a person who elevates himself over Torah, right, and that kind of disgusts you when you see it, that was a gift. Just like the smell of a nevela. That's how you stay away. If there's somebody who's much too arrogant, and much too, so stay away from it. Don't fall into a trap and say, well, a lot of times righteous people, they're very perplexing, right? You have to see, see, listen, this is an important thing to take a, a, a one moment to, like a tangent, before we get back to the nevela and the smell. This is an important thing, you know, there's a, there's a pasuk that, that, that says when the, when, the, when the Gentiles will see you doing the chukin, the really bizarre mitzvahs, they'll say, ah, ra, ah, right, this is, this is a, this is a really wise group of people. Wise. Wise. When they see you doing really bizarre stuff, you're out looking at the moon and blessing it and j- dancing up and down and uh, on a Saturday night, mm-hmm. they can say, what a wise group of people. Is that really the case, though? So why, why, why is it not the case? Why do they look at us and say, these people are backwards? Just the why do they look at us and say, you guys are nuttier than the march? This is the Mad Hatter's Tea Party right now. Good. Why does Neely get that reaction and you and I get the other one? So this is going to be straightforward. I'll tell you why. The Svarim say like this. They say when there's somebody who otherwise proves themselves to be really wise, then when they do something strange, then everything is interpreted by the person looking at it as that that's really wise. How smart that is. Because it's, you know the person's what, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When the person's an idiot, so then they do the same thing. You're like, okay, this is, a, this is a bona fide idiot. When the Jewish people show themselves to be wise with the mishpatim and with other justice and other things that we're doing, then when we do something off the wall, it'll be interpreted as brilliant. Here's the danger of that. Sometimes you have a person who is, you've accepted that they're a great person. You find this all the time. And then the guy's doing something wrong. Perhaps he's victimizing somebody. He's doing something wrong. So there's a cognitive dissonance, which just says, like, I know it's weird, but he's really great. So there's probably some interpretation, right? So Don Lekavskus Excellent. So Don Lekavskus really means that, for example, let's say you see someone eating on Yom Kippur. So you'll assume that even though you're not allowed to eat on Yom Kippur, you'll assume that maybe the person is very, very ill. Or maybe they didn't realize it's Yom Kippur, right? Or, you know, but in other words, in other words, for a person, for example, I'll give you an example. There's, there's obviously a line here, right? If you worked in a place and there was someone who was abusing people, God forbid, and you didn't call out about it because you said, well, I was judging people favorably, that would be troubling. You'd have to send that guy to prison. And when you spoke about him privately, you'd have to say, you know, he's probably a very troubled man. And I see he did many good things in his life. And I'm sure he's doing tshuva now, right? In other words, you can judge someone favorably while reporting them to the police. So, you know, I have a, a family member who worked in a in a seminary where there was a fellow who was a, really a good guy and for many years did very good things but but you know he was taking certain liberties that he shouldn't have taken he wasn't really behaving um, as he ought to um, and there were people who worked closely with him and there were people who just didn't say anything 
And the reason is because they were duped. In other words, ev there were so many good things that they didn't notice. These things that were warning signs, they didn't allow them to, to feel like a warning sign. They just figured, oh, yeah, it really smells funny, but this is a good guy. So I'm telling you, right, you're not going to, I don't know if we hear too many rabbis talk about this because then, then you're going to find all the skeletons in my closet, you know, and then I'm finished. But, but I'm telling you very seriously, if there's ever something that doesn't smell right, take that seriously. It's a warning. It's just like if the milk smells terrible. That's a blessing. It's a big blessing. And if it doesn't smell good, so I'm not saying, like, you know, like Judy said, like don't, don't write someone off completely and don't consider the person <laughs> wicked, but, but take it seriously. Realize that this smells and it's not good. That's very, very, very important. Um, so back to the Nevela, it says another thing. It says in the Gemara that kol misha'in bodea, a person who doesn't have wisdom, they're people who have knowledge, a Talmud Chacham, a guy who knows all the Torah, but he doesn't have day, he doesn't have you know, internal wisdom. So it says, Nevela tova heimenu. A, a, dead, a dead animal is better than him. So, mm. the, so now we understand. A dead animal has a warning. This guy's a rabbi. He looks, mm. right? And he's going to tell you, marry this person and do this and do that thing. You don't realize that though he has lots of book knowledge, he's not wise. So he'll dupe you. Right? Some people don't find it. It's He's more dangerous than an Avela because from the outside, he looks great. But on the inside, he doesn't really have the wisdom. He doesn't have Deya. He memorized a lot of books. Right? Derech Eretz Kabbalatari. You have to first refine yourself. If you don't have the Deya, the Derech Eretz, the inner refinement. Applying what you know is, yes, it's absolutely wisdom. But the truth is you also have to have a sense of, in other words, there's a skill that's called, that's called Deya. There's a human skill that needs to be refined, which is, you know, it's not in the words of the book. I'll just share with you the last Pasuk of Isaiah 59. It says, right, <coughs> Hashem promises that my spirit, that's upon you, and the words that I placed in your mouth, they will never leave your mouth and your children's mouth and your grandchildren's mouth now and forever. Okay, so listen to this. There's the spirit upon you and the words in the mouth and they won't leave your children's and your grandchildren's mouths. What is the spirit going to be in their mouth? The spirit's upon you. doesn't mention that that's going to stick with them, right? Um, but clearly that's what it's saying. Hmm. Now, the other thing is, what like is the, the spirit? Transfers, the what on earth is the purpose of the spirit? I mean, if they have all the words of the Torah, this tells me that there could be something that includes all the words of the Torah and still doesn't have the spirit of the Torah. Mm -hmm. There's a Mesorah. There is a connection in. There could be times when you've studied Torah and you turn to your Rebbe, right? And you turn to great Torah personalities and they tell you, no, that's just not what God wants. That's not the right thing. They say, but I can prove it from this and from that and the next thing. And if you, you need to have someone in your life who can do that for you. But not based on his own mind, based on his Mesorah, on his connection. Yeah. In other words, the, the and there are two basically two kinds of of rabbis mm. and two kinds of Torah leaders. One is connected into a Mesorah. So that if you go to and there, there may be different, slightly different variations on it. So if you go to Rabbi Muskin, there are things that no matter what he thinks, at the young is saying he's a modern Orthodox rabbi. If Rav Herschel Schechter in Yeshiva University comes out and says the other way, then he'll say, Okay, then even though I thought that I changed my mind. Whatever he said, right? you understand? In other words, a, like, then it can't be right. If, if he tells him, no, that's not an acceptable thing. There was a rabbi in this town, on the other hand, who once said that the word Masorah is a meaningless word. 
an orthodox, ostensibly orthodox rabbi. He said, it's a meaningless word. He said, what do you mean you can't have female clergy? He says, people will tell me the reason not to do it is because of Masora. He says, you know what that means? It means I can't think of any logical reason or halachic reason why it can't be done, but I just don't like it. That's what he said. Now, happens to be there's enormous amount of halachic material to go to support that which basically every single rabbi um, of any standing in the world rules. But that's not the issue. If there was something that all the great rabbis, all of them, felt was against the spirit of the Torah, but he says, but I, but it's Masora. I can't show it in the words. Yeah, that's okay. That's a good question. Right, that can't be, right? In other words, it can't be. But apparently there's a spirit of the Torah. So Hashem promises that that's available in all generations, and it's in your mouth. It's in the words of the Torah. If you honestly and carefully try to remove yourself from all of these preconceived notions, and you really try to accept, I'm not a feminist, and I'm not anti-feminist, I'm not anything. I'm sitting down to study Hashem's Torah, and what it tells me, that I'm going to receive, like at Sinai, the humblest and lowest mountain. Right? The people that are pushing to fit certain ideals, whether it is Right, whether it is how to handle homosexuality or this one or the next one, there is a whole group that has taken their ideals and their values as axiomatic long before the Torah. And then they come to their Torah study and they will say, how can we fit these two together? So listen, I respect that they're insisting on fitting it in with the Torah, but there's a, there's a little bit of a difference. Within the words of the Torah, there's also a spirit of the Torah and that is a very important thing and you cannot limit it simply to halacha. So I'm going to tell you that that has a lot to do with smell. Ruchi Asher Alecha, which is the spirit, which is the wafting spirit and the smell, right, is, uh, is something that we're going to explore now like this. Mordechai <coughs> is the guy who has a good, a good smell. Yeah, what do you want to say? Sorry. It's an opinion, though. It's not a fact. What is? That the Torah has a spirit. And Correct. And you can't show it. Correct. It's the book of Isaiah, right. Yeshaya says there is one. But you're absolutely correct. How can you know which one it is? You're absolutely right. But they're not spirit of Masora. Both. In other words, within the Masora, aside from the fact, in other words, if, 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 if when Rav Moshe finds, right, if the great rabbis come out, for, I'll give you an example. Um, the Sefer HaZohar, the book of the Zohar, is hotly contested among academics. The general consensus is that it is an inauthentic forgery of Rav Moshe de Leon, and it is not, right, it doesn't trace its origins back um, to the times of the Mishnah and the students of Rishon Bayochai, that it's not authentic. Okay, but here's something to pay attention to. Every single world expert, you know, every single person who knew all of Shas and all of Poskin and every word of Tanakh by heart, with very few exceptions, it's tens of thousands to maybe one or two, all of those people took one look at the Zohar, Vilna Gaon, right, and said, this is authentic. This is authentic. This is authentic Judaism. There's not one word in here that I dispute. So, who are you going to trust? Now, how, well, who trusts those? They don't need to write a book for me to understand that. They took a look at it and they just knew. You understand? They looked at it and they studied it and they read a little bit and it was clear. So, th that's an important thing to realize. Meaning, when you have great, great, great people, there is a spirit of the Torah and there's a way things work and there's a friendliness with the material that when they all come out and say, this is just not it, so then I take that very, very seriously. And I believe that that's a big part of the spirit. I'll give you one other example. There's a great, I think it was Rebendel Kaplan. It was a Rosh Yeshiva in Philadelphia. Right? So he used to say, Zechazal used to say, I believe it was him. He may have been quoting someone before him as well. That sometimes you look in one of the Svarim, like 
let's say the rush, I can give the example of the rush on the Gemara. Sometimes the rush will say, I believe ABC, and I can prove it from these six sources. He says, when I study that, I learn how to learn. He says, but I learn more about Judaism when he says, I think this without bringing the source. Because when he says something based on a source, you can check out the source and you can see if you agree or disagree. He says, but when he says, I think this, that means his whole way of thinking and his whole way of seeing the world and everything he got from Torah study for all those years is informing this answer. Because it's not based on one set, one text. It's based on him. A person who consumes himself with Torah and with mitzvahs, right? If they do it honestly and they do it sincerely, so they are blessed with the ability to imbibe the spirit of the Torah. In which case, there will be all kinds of things you can't find in the words. I don't dispute it, but I do often question it. Yes. It's very hard because then there'll be people who will tell you, there are people out there who will tell you that the spirit of the Torah means that no woman may ever drive a car. No what? No oh, woman may ever drive what a car. Right. Exactly right. I don't agree with that at all. But there are places where they would tell you that. It's just not, uh, it's not appropriate. Right. So what are the boundaries? Right. There are places, there are communities where they have such rules and they have such a thing. Now, so, I grew up in that. So, but I want to tell you, the, so I want to tell you the real truth. The real truth is that if you speak to the great people, the truly great people, um, within those very communities, they have a level-headed approach. In other words, they may agree that within this community, the best thing is to decide that women shouldn't drive for modest, whatever the reason is, which, which again, it's not my school of thought, um, but I believe that they would be able to admit and say, listen, Rabbi Eliashev didn't think that was a big deal, and Ramosha Feinstein didn't think it was a big deal, and that that's also a valid approach, and it's not our mahalach, and it's not altaras akut, you know, it's not the way we do things in our community, but it is an acceptable method of avodah Hashem. Where are the boundaries? You know, once you start going down that so that's a separate question. These are pra- what you're asking is more of a practical question about how to run your home, how to run your community, yeah. and and the, the, it's an important question. But it's like too, you know what I'm saying? It's like too, it's too off the topic to really get so into. But the idea that there is a spirit of Yiddishkeit that theoretically, even if there was something that I couldn't tie to a specific verse, and we could both twist it in there, that there is there are two things, says says Yishai. There's Ruchi Asher and Okay. In any event, we've got to get back to understanding a little more about Purim like this. It says in Reb Chaim Palaji's book, Yisamach Chaim, he quotes a midrash which says that the word ruach, reach, sorry, smell, is used in the midrash. He quotes a few places where the midrash says, reach represents tshuva. So let's explain. We just understood that Mordechai's name means Miradachi, which is spices. Esther's name is from the Hadassah, which is the one that smells good. Haman is the same gematria as Chelvana, which is the poor-smelling one. We said, Libesume Bepuria, you got to smell nice on Purim, which means getting drunk. What is that about? Why is getting drunk? So here's what tshuva means. Tshuva means two things. <laughs> Firstly, it means taking something physical, thinking something perhaps that you did wrong, and turning it around into something positive. Your sins could turn into mitzvahs. The poor choices that you made can actually help you achieve a great deal in life. But there's another part to this. Why do we call it tshuva? <coughs> tshuva means to return. Mm-hmm. Why do we call it tshuva? So here's why. What does repentance mean? I, I'm not certain what it means. I think it's a Christian word. But tshuva means to return. And here's why. Really, you are good inside. So if your actions smell. If that's not manifesting out, that's because you're not 
showing what you have inside. So tshuva is the process of smell. All you need to do is find what's inside of you and let it out. Do you hear this? That's all you have to do. All you have to do is let it come out. The Jewish people in Shushan, the message of Purim, the disaster of Purim, was that even though internally the people believed in God, lefanim, they bowed to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. This is the Gemara. On the outside, they bowed. It, it never penetrated inside. They never believed any of that. So the problem was one of smell. The problem was one of smell. Wait, but how does he get the connection between smell and... And tshuva? So he doesn't explain it, but I'm explaining in light of what we said, like this, that since smell means when something, like we said before, it's when the thing is rotten and there's a warning to the person walking by, that's smell. And when the thing is sweet, like the more that comes out of the tree automatically, without any extra work, the marge roar, it just freely flows from the tree, that shows you what's inside. So what's tshuva? Tshuva means inside your neshama is always good. It's outer layers of behavior and thought patterns and things that we messed up with. So when we do tshuva, we're returning to who we really, really are. We're not changing our inside. We're just going back, right? So we're returning to Hashem. We're returning to who we are inside. And therefore, when a person does tshuva, it's, it's smell. Because all you're doing is showing who you are. You're allowing yourself to start wafting with a good smell because inside you were good all along, but it wasn't manifesting. So ma'asim tovim, good deeds, right? Are the hadas has a good smell, represents good deeds. That's the nedrish. Because good deeds are when you manifest what that knowledge and learning you have inside, and you actually do good deeds. So a person with taste but no smell has knowledge, but he doesn't have good deeds. So reach would be pinyut, like bitterness, or... Reach would be the manifestation of pinyut externally. So listen to this. Mashiach, it says, the Gemara says, that Mashiach quotes a pasuk, lo lemare enav yishpot. He will not judge by what he sees by his eyes. Veheiricho beruach Hashem. Rather, he'll, be, he'll have the sniffing powers of, of, of the Spirit of God, which the Gemara says, he'll be morach vada'in which is hard to translate, but the way all the Mepharshim explains it, he'll be able to judge people by smelling them. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean? He'll sniff them out. M- meaning, he will see, Mashiach is able to see who you really, really are. That's what a savior is. That's what salvation is. That's what the one who brings the world to tshuva does. He sees who you really are inside. But then, so wouldn't that mean that reah or smell or scent would mean... It's the ability to discern what's most inside. Like the essence. Yes. Yes. Doesn't your neshama also come out from your nose? Correct. So it's blown in through your nose and it comes out through your nose. So it's like by smell and being able to smell your inside, it's like he's able to like smell your neshama. Beautiful. In other words, the access, that's very beautiful, meaning the access root to the deepest part of you is through smell. Okay, so let's tell you a little more. It's going to get even more exciting. Okay, so now you got a drink on Purim, Libisume to drink, right, and get sweet. What happens when you drink? You know, when somebody tells you something when they're drunk, I had such an experience once, where somebody told me some personal feelings that they had about me when they were drunk. And then they came to me the next day, and they, right, it was back in the yeshiva days. The guy came to me the next day and says, you know, my wife told me, and people told me that, like, I might have said something that wasn't even hurtful. Like, it wasn't hurtful. It was just, like, what he thought about me. And he said, like, I want to apologize if I said anything. And, like, I wholeheartedly told him, like, so, like I'm, I don't have anything against you. I wasn't upset. And, like, and I forgive you in case there's anything, you know. But 
there was nothing to forget, meaning nothing changed. Now I know what he thinks. Somebody comes to you and says, I hate you. You're a terrible person. And the next day they come back and say, I was having a hard day and I was just lashing out at random people. So you, you may, they may not really hate you. That person's totally drunk and not out of anger. They just let you know, I really think this and this and this about you. You know it's true. Sometimes a shogeg, sometimes something you say and you didn't mean to say, anyone's in a relationship knows this, right? Is worse than anything else because you let something slip out or you say something that, that, that could be more hurtful because oh. it wasn't said in anger. The Kinsian, uh, Kinsian slip. Is that you what it's called? When you accidentally say you the accidentally truth. Say the the truth. Kinsian gaff. You uh -huh. say the truth. You know, it's actually also, it's, it's, it's hinted to in the Pasuk because the Pasuk talks about Avon, Fesha, Vechata. Now, Avon and Pesha are deliberate and Chata is, is, is by mistake. Um, that according to the Mepharshim. So the question is why? So I believe there's the Maral. My Rashi used to always say the Maral. I haven't seen it. That, that is actually the Pshat. Meaning it's because an, a sin that you do by mistake indicates more about who you are. Meaning when you just kind of slip up and that slipped out and, and in that way it could be worse. Okay. So when a person gets drunk on Purim, I know people who are very... And listen, generally, I, I, don't, I don't believe in drinking to, to drunkenness. It's not appropriate. Um, but what would be the idea of getting of getting drunk. So I know people who are petrified, who are petrified of having a drink because they're worried people will figure out who they are. <laughs> right? In other words, they don't believe, I, I don't mean somebody, right, who is in a 12-step program, right? In other words, that's not what I mean, right? Th that's important that they not drink. I mean somebody who is afraid that what's inside will come out and no one's gonna like me anymore, you understand? We can all imagine such a person. So the answer is, Purim says, hey, listen, whatever's inside of you can come out. There's nothing in, if you could fig, if you could let out what's inside of you, it's all beautiful and good. <coughs> so you have to blibisume before you. I want your smell to come out on Purim. Mm. So make sure that this year for Purim, make sure that you go somewhere, if you're drinking, you know, if you're not expecting a child or something, or, or other good reasons, right? If you're drinking, so I want you to go somewhere, right, where you can sing songs to Hashem and cry and dance and be spiritually uplifted because that's who you really are. And it's helpful to be around other people that are doing the same thing. But don't don't go somewhere that's going to bring out someone that's not really you. The whole purpose of the drinking is to loosen up enough that your smell can come out. Live a sumay before you. I'll tell you more. The Purim story begins with Ahasuerosh making a party for 180 days and everyone's getting rip-roaring drunk. Then he says, we're going to have a seven-day party for all the people in Shushan. And he opens up the Chatzar Ginat Bitan Hamelech. He opens up this inner courtyard, which opens to the Ginat Bitan Hamelech, the royal garden and orchard of the king. Yeah, that's what they say. It may be that there was trees. That's Rashi. So says the Sefer Ha Rokeach. One of the Rishonim. His name actually means the perfumer. So says the, says the Rokeach. Um, he says, you know, the this garden was a garden that was open to the to the courtyard. You didn't go into the garden because the garden was all about delicious smells. The purpose of the garden was that it smelled good. So it was like a royal garden. I don't know if maybe they had sewage nearby, right? Like it's hard to imagine why they would necessarily have, but an amazing garden of like delicious smells. 
That's what it was. It was a place where you would go. Okay, now at the end of the Megillah, I should say, at the end of the story, Achashverosh is really, really falling apart because Esther announces something that's not so good for him. Listen to this. So on the second day, he says, what do you want, Esther? And she says, you know what? There's a guy trying to kill my people. So Achashverosh says, who is this guy? And Esther says, it's Haman. Now, the Hamelech and the king got up in his anger from the wine party to the Ginas Habisan. He went back to that, that garden and Haman gets up to try to plead with the queen. Um, and then the king came back and Haman had fallen on the bed and he said, what, you're trying to take over the queen with me in the house? And he puts him to that. Okay, so what was the, what's the king doing? What's he angry about? He knew about this plot. He was in on this plot. So he goes storming out. So what was he angry about? Right? It's not clear. So, But the king was frustrated. So there's different approaches in the Mepharshim. Some say that he was frustrated that he was going to have to deal with, you know, a dispute between his wife, you know, and something that he wanted to do, and how's he going to manage this? You know, it's not so clear. So the, the Targum says an, an incredible thing here. It says that he went out into his garden. Sorry. Yeah, you're going to enjoy this, Bobby. Umalka zakaf yat enui vechaza vehaasarti malachim damyan laasarte banoi dehaman katiim ilanaya di beginta gava. The king comes out into his garden. And he sees what appear to be the ten sons of Haman chopping down all of the, fo- the plants and trees in his garden. For the it was angels. It wasn't real. Oh. It was angels. It appeared that they were racing through his garden, destroying all the good-smelling stuff. And that infuriated him to such an extent. And he said to them, the other, the, you know, as a medrash and others, says, he said to them, what on earth are you doing? And they said, Haman told us to do this. So now he's really frustrated with Haman. So this is his fanciest garden. This is his thing. What do you, you think you own my whole palace? You can just tell people to go start chopping down my most precious trees? Right? So then he goes tearing into the room. And then Haman's trying to take the queen. So it's like, okay, this guy's obviously overstepping his bounds. He has his kids running around my palace like it's his own house. Now he's trying, finished. That's all. And that's what put away the story. That's how the Medrash understands and the, and the Targum quotes. Isn't that something? So then, so what's going on with this like smell garden, right? So one last thing. Um, it says in the Shulchan Aruch that Seder Havdalah, Yayin Besamim Ner Havdalah. When one makes Havdalah, there are four things that we do. Yayin, Borapir Geffen, Besamim, Barimini Besamim, Ner, Candle, and Havdalah, Hamal de Ben Kodesh Tachol, the Simanech, and the way that you can remember this, Yavne. Yud, Bet, Nun, Hey. That's what it says in the Shokhanach. The way to remember it is Yavne. When the Jewish people were getting kicked out of Jerusalem. So the wise men requested Yavne v'chachamecha. We, we know we can't have Jerusalem anymore, but we'd like at least that you keep around Yavne and its wise men. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai requested. 
and he was granted this from Vespasian, Vespasianus, the Roman prefect said, yes, you can have Yavne Vesachameha. So when you're leaving holiness behind and you need some way to connect, that's similar to Yavne. Saturday night comes and you're leaving behind Shabbos. You're leaving behind Shabbos. So you know what you do? So you do Havdalah. Havdalah is a ceremony that allows you to not have to leave the holiness behind, but to try to take it with you into the coming week. And that is Simon Echiavne. That's Havdalah. It allows you that your separation doesn't have to truly separate you. The smell can come with you. So we smell the basamin because it's painful to lose your extra neshama on Shabbos. That's Yavne. That's the Simonim. That's, you know, it's interesting. Ashkenazim have the Minigan Havdalah. And it's as far as it's also to say, we talk about the most triumphant Pasuk in the book of Esther. Um, and we then add on, Cain Tialana, we want the same thing. Um, the book of Esther was an experience where what's most internal actually came out. When the Jewish people stood at Har Sinai with every word that came out from Hashem's mouth, the Gemara says in Shabbos, page 88, the whole world filled up with bisamin. Every word that came out of God's mouth, the world filled with delicious smells. And yet, the Jewish people at Sinai needed a mountain over their heads. They needed to be forced to accept the Torah on some level. Maybe it was the force of absolute proof. They walked across the Yamsuf, but they needed to be forced. It says at the time of Purim, they didn't need to be forced, and they corrected that Kimu Vikibu. The Jewish people reaccepted why. Because when they stood at Harsina, if you need to be forced into something, it means you're not fully aware that deep inside that's what you really want. If you'd know that that's really, really what you want, I don't have to force you. You're thrilled about it. The Jewish people at Sinai weren't quite aware of that yet. The Purim time and the story with Mordechai is when they discovered how deeply they really wanted it, how much we really want to keep the Torah and do the mitzvahs, how badly we want to accept it. And so there, isn't that something? As we stood at the time of Purim, we brought about an awareness that there's nothing more that we want than the Torah, and that's the simcha, that's the joy. That's incredible joy. That passes along and is contagious. That's why at Sinai, you know, at Sinai, um, the reason that we all keep the Torah is because we were all there at Mahar Sinai. All the neshamas were there. That's what the Medrash Rabbah says in the Shemos Rabbah 28. And there's a Gemara in Shabbos that way as well. Shabbos 150, 146, 147. Right? So it's, it's, it's a clear statement. 146, yeah. The beginning. Every single neshama was there at Har Sinai. Um, but what about Purim? I mean, if we say the neshama of every single person and every single convert and every single creature right, who's ever going to be part of the Torah co covenant was there at Har Sinai. So, fine. So that's why we all have to do it. But it wasn't complete at Sinai. Right? There was the need for Purim. Right? No. Because what Purim showed you with that joy, with that level, is that really, even at Sinai, you wanted it. All human beings wanted it. It brought out the most internal part of a person. The most internal part of a person is connected to Hashem. If you would drink enough on Purim, if you'd really get sweetened enough by Purim, you would realize there's no difference between Haman and Mordechai because on some level, says the Arizal, even within Haman, there's a little, there's a spark of Hashem in there somewhere. Who made him? The deepest level of the most wicked person, there's a part of him that wants to serve Hashem too. The, his problem is he's not letting it out. But it's there. So so that's what we have to, uh, we have to work on this 
this concept, to be aware, my friends, that we really want it more than we let ourselves admit it. We don't really wish we could sleep all the time. And, 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 and you know what I'm saying? We don't wish we could sleep on a Shabbos morning till 11 a.m. We wish, if you'd really be in touch with what's inside of you, you'd realize that you want to be up, uh, you want to be up early. Studying Torah, doing the mitzvahs, right? That's what you really, really want. Now, how easy is that to do? It's a good question. But what do you really want? You want to, you want to keep the, you want, you want to fulfill the Torah. You want to s- s- rocket yourself to high levels. Purim is about smells. It's about the sense of smell. It's about realizing that what's really inside is is bursting to come out. And when Mordechai shows us that, and the Jewish people resonated with that message, um, we were left with this wonderful holiday of Purim, which passes along automatically to every single person who it comes into contact with. Because it brings out simcha and it brings out who they really are in a great and powerful way. Um, that is what we have to share about Mordechai and Myrrh. Yes, Bobby. Uh, was there an actual acceptance of the Torah, like we had it at Sinai during the time of Torah? Was there an actual? So it says Kimu veKiblu Alehem Hayudim Alehem veAlzaram. So it says they accepted. Right, they fulfilled and accepted for themselves and their children. Right, and it's talking about like the to make Purim part of. It's not so clear. So the Gemara says, "Kimu masha kiblu kfar." Kimu v'kiblu is saying that Purim is the end of the. Yeah, it's the end of the Torah receiving process. Meaning, like there was something left unfinished at Sinai, and the kimu they fulfilled what they already accepted. So. By the way, according to what we explained, those words are very beautiful. I mean, they did accept it, but they actually fulfilled how deep that really was. Meaning, once it, when it was forced, right, it went, as long as it was forced, they didn't realize how deep that acceptance was. And now they did it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? No, I was going to say, could we, I was thinking about the idea of uh, the spirit of Torah. And it's like, could we kind of like understand the spirit of Torah through Mordecai's approach to dealing with Haman versus the other Jews. I think you're right, because Mordecai was approached, it says in the Rokeach, that same Sefer, says it says, all the servants of the king who were in the courtyard of the king would bow to Haman, because that's what the king commanded. Now the Medrash says, whenever it says the king, and not King Ahasuerush, it means Hashem. Mm-hmm. So Rokeach says, this is a Sanhedrin. The greatest rabbis of the generation were coming to Mordecai and saying, the halacha is to bow down. What's the big deal? Just bow to Haman. You're, you're, you're threatening all the Jewish people. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it because he had a very strong sense, right? He was Mordechai, and he had a strong awareness that, no, in other words, I know you can quote me something from a book, but it's just not the right thing to do right now. And Narizal has a whole piece on how Yaakov Avinu bowed down to Esav, which was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And Mordechai is here to correct that. Mm-hmm. And a whole very powerful approach to uh, Mordechai from Benjamin, because Benjamin wasn't yet born then. So Benjamin didn't bow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mordechai is an Ishiyamini. There's a whole, maybe we'll, we'll do a share on, on this also. That's very important. That whole idea of how to bow to evil and not and not bow to evil and, and what we're looking to correct. And yeah. So Purim was about a thousand years after Sinai. Is there something to that? Is it that many? It I think it's a little less than that. Yeah. Okay. Meaning it was the first temple was built after how many years? It was 480 after Sinai. Right, so we're like we're so like we're like. So we're talking about. The, and then the, the temple itself lasted for four twenty, uh, four ten. First step, the first temple was four hundred and ten years. It's about seven hundred and fifty years. Yeah. So, but it, I mean, you know the, the, the ring is around right after Darius. If you go with right. Mercy, it's, it's 
round, like maybe a little less than that. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what like what the. Like there's there's this verse that says a thousand years is a thousand. Oh, that's a thousand generations. Davart Sivan the Elf Door. Yeah. Yeah. And what did Yavin stand for? So that stood for Yayin Bisamim Ner Havdalah. But it represented the right. The city of Yavin is representing the ability to carry on the holiness along with you, even when you don't see as easily where it came from. Wasn't that also speaking of orchard or a garden too, like? About Yavna being yeah. a place for fragrant place of trees good smell. That's very beautiful. Karen, right? It was a, yeah, they had wineries there. And they, so it is something. The truth is, I see. I realized that I didn't fully, fully explain the significance of the garden, of Achashverosh's garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, you know what? Like, I'm gonna have to leave it up to you guys. You know. <laughs> uh, so you let me know if you uh, have any ideas. Or something. <laughs> Thanks.